podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. And well, there's a lot to talk about this week with cricket going on all over the world. Of course, England in action in Sri Lanka and Australia drawing that fantastic match against Pakistan in the UAE. India playing the West Indies as well. And we've got Shane Warne on this programme later talking about the publication of his autobiography and some interesting thoughts he's got on the game of cricket. But first, let's go to Sri Lanka, where Simon Mann is in situ. And Simon, you're in Candy now, and uh, I was going to ask you what's the weather like, but before I ask you that, I just want to ask if you've seen any snakes, because I see that there is a, has been a snake alarm uh, around the back of the ground where England were training today and they had to catch this cobra with a, a stick and a piece of drain pipe and I suppose that's just one of those other things about playing in Sri Lanka you know expect the unexpected. You're right I was there and I deliberately decided not to go and seek out the snake they are not my favorite creatures not by any means the last time I was in Candy I saw a huge you wimp. I saw a huge cobra that was on a grassy bank which I was I was looking out over Candy or staying up in the hills I was looking out over Candy I sort of wandered away and then one of the gardeners from the hotel started shouting and I looked up and there was this huge cobra where I'd been standing. So when I heard there was a, a cobra in the house today at the Palakeli <laughs> Stadium, I did not go to investigate. They all, they, all the others did with their mobile phones. And there's lots of shots on the, on the internet and they, they basically what they did is they got two long pipes and sort of manoeuvred it into a, a bag and I, what they did with it after that, I'm not sure, but they probably released it in the jungle somewhere. What you, what you need is uh, what you need is a mongoose. Yep. Uh, when you go on tour to Sri Lanka, the, the pet mongoose with the team to go and sniff out anything like that, and they'll kill it in a jiffy. Yeah, well, I mean, I've seen all sorts of creatures since I've been here. I had a monkey on my veranda this morning. I saw a magnificent elephant just by the side of the road, and I've had cockroaches in my room. So I mean, I can put up with that as long as I don't come anywhere near a cobra. <laughs> Not I've once I've once heard journalists actually called cockroaches. So you didn't mean a journalist, did you? <laughs> no, the real thing. The real thing is on my curtain. It was crawling up my curtain. Anyway, I tried to capture it and, and release it into the wild, but it escaped. Anyway, um, I did. That was the last I saw of it. But and that that's fine as well. But you know, it's, it's part and parcel of it. I mean, the other the other thing, Simon, you said there's lots to talk about at the moment in, in international cricket, and, and there is, you know, with England out here. But of course, the big story out here is break. This afternoon, Sanath Jayasuriya charged with two counts by the ICC for failing to cooperate with anti-corruption instigators. I mean, this you know you're talking about you know one of the sort of the most significant people in the history of Sri Lankan cricket. Here, you're talking about a former captain, twice chairman of selectors. He's been a politician. He was a World Cup winner. He was a pioneer as well. He transformed the game really with the way he batted in that 1996 World Cup. He's played close on 600 games of international cricket. I mean, this is a you know really significant story and and you know a worrying story as well because I, mean, I think the feeling is I and mean, we're we're still waiting for more details. But the feeling is that this is part of a you know a more wide ranging 
ongoing investigation into Sri Lankan cricket, and, and you know who who knows who else could be charged as a result. But you know Sanath Jayasuriya is you know is a, is a very big fish. But what we should say, of course, is that he's only been charged, and we haven't heard his side of the story yet, and he has not been found guilty. So, but nevertheless, a very significant story. Mm. And th- there is a, a a sort of finger being poked at one particular match, isn't there? The in, certainly in one newspaper, the the Sri Lanka against Zimbabwe game, a one day international, which ended on a Duckworth Lewis. Uh, so obviously rain affected. So what's the what's the story there? Well, I can't tell you very much other than that the, the, the game in question is reported in in both the, well in the Telegraph newspaper and the Guardian newspaper. Uh, the fourth one-day international between Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe in Hambantota, July 2017. Sri Lanka made 300 for six. It was rain-reduced, as you say, and Zimbabwe got there with 10 balls to spare and four wickets in hand. But, I mean, the, the, the thing about uh, fixing or whatever is it's not necessarily the result. We've, we've come to know that over the years. It's not necessarily about the result, and I'm not saying this result was fixed, not by, you know, or e- even anything in the game was fixed. This is just the match that you know has the spotlight on it. Um, you know, it can be things that happen in the game. Uh, Ten over score, uh, you know, twenty over score. That you know, the, what we call spot fixing rather than match fixing. And you know, in in a sense that you could argue that it doesn't affect necessarily the actual outcome of the game, the result of the game. But clearly, if if players are in on a particular fix then that you know is, is is very damaging for the game but I'm not saying that's what's happened in this situation but that is the game that's re- reportedly under the mm. spotlight well it's certainly a, a sad situation let's hope it's resolved let's uh, look at the performances on the field by England anyway and uh, particularly that that outstanding bit of bowling by Ollie Stone I suppose that was the the thing to mention most about that second one day international in Dambulla which finally got some actual cricket underway with at least three quarters of a, of a match completed and and Stone for me was the outstanding performer obviously England managed to get a, a decent score and Owen Morgan played well and Root as well but but Stone's bowling just gave England a, a bit of an X factor it's amazing isn't it Simon how you know just a short fast spell from a, a new quick bowler can capture the imagination Four overs, no maidens, one for seven in Ollie Stone's first spell. He got the wicket of Dick Weller with that short ball, which is gloved through to the keeper. And it, it, inevitably, it creates a stir because it's a fast bowler. It's the same, I think, you know, if you get a leg spinner who emerges onto the scene, as indeed you know, Shane Warne did many, many years ago. And we're going to hear from him later. You know, but when a fast bowler bursts onto the scene and it, it just captures the imagination. I was talking to Chris Wokes to, today uh, at the press conference and it, <laughs> he, you know, he was saying, I said, you know, should England supporters get excited by Ollie Stone? And he said, well, just need to be a bit careful. You know, he's only played one match and he's taken one wicket. And, and he's absolutely right to, you know, you've got to put it in context but we've seen what he's done in the county championship. You know, the selectors like him. Clearly, they picked him for the one-day series and for the test series. And when you get a wicket like that, then it, it, it does just stir the imagination. You wonder what he could achieve. So, you know, it's it's fantastic for, for English cricket. And also, the other thing as well is, you know, could he force his way into the World Cup squad? England have been very settled over the last year or two. I mean, the players have gradually been filtered into the side. But I said to Trevor Bayliss, the coach, after the New Zealand series, you know, is that it now, 
Trevor, in terms of the personnel for the World Cup? And he said, yes, but clearly, you know, Stone is a, a, a player who's who's forced his way in, you know, just because he's got that extra pace. And, you know, it can be so valuable in one-day cricket. You know, you're struggling for a wicket and then you, you bring on your fast bowling, he makes the breakthrough and suddenly the game turns. So uh, I would be cautiously, I think cautiously optimistic. What, what do you feel about him? Well, I was, I was sitting with Jimmy Anderson watching his bowling, actually, uh, and we were doing the Cricket Social for BBC, that uh, programme which is available online when uh, England are playing in Sri Lanka, and uh, it, it, Jimmy was impressed. I don't think he'd seen much of him before, uh, and, it, and we both thought he, he had a very nice, easy action, uh, high arm. He, he, Jimmy was, was well-versed in his various skills other than the pace he's got. He said he's, he's got some, some good variety as well and he, he seemed to get the ball to move away from the right-handers, which is a very valuable asset, of course, which Anderson knows more about than anybody. And I, I just thought, actually, the, the deception he had, what, what you're looking for with a, with a bowler isn't so much going at the, the speed gun and, and, oh, you know, he's going at 90 miles an hour, but how do the batsmen handle him? Are they discomforted by him in some way? And there are some bowlers who have a deceptive action who are quicker than the batsmen expect. And I thought he certainly fitted that category. Without seeming to take a huge amount out of himself, he was generating slippery pace and awkward bounce. Uh, and, you know, good players, those opening batsmen for, for Sri Lanka, were really struggling against him. Uh, OK, they hadn't seen him before, but still, they're, they're you know, seasoned batsmen who tr- train hard, practice hard, were used to facing bowlers of sort of, say, Dale Staines kind of pace. So uh, it was it was an impressive performance. And I, I just thought there were no nerves there. It, he seemed as if he sort of felt comfortable in that environment and made his presence felt so encouraging and, and you say he could uh, be part of the world cup squad i mean test squad too J- jimmy anderson was saying well you know somebody like that in the test side for for certain matches in mm-hmm. further down the line yeah definitely yeah absolutely i suppose what our focus um with the one day squad is on the world cup and what what's going to happen next summer of course after that there's an ashes series as well so you know that that's a, a potential bonus obviously he has to stay fit uh, it, it, but it's, it's funny isn't it? you, you talk about a guy like, you, you know basically what one for 20 odd in his first bowl in international cricket but as the guy at the other end Chris Wokes took three for 26 and, and broke open Sri Lanka's batting and ultimately helped England win the game with Douglas Lewis coming into play and actually quite quite tricky for the captains as well from both sides to sort of know how to play because you've got that thought two games going on, the, the eventual total if it doesn't rain, and then the Duckworth-Lewis total, which you need to be ahead of if it does. Uh, so it's so not easy for Owen Morgan out in the field. But, you know, those early wickets, Chris Wokes, he's, he's, he's called Mr. Reliable by Owen Morgan, who, who also said mm. you know, he's been our most valuable player uh, for, for quite a few years now, which is which is a, mm. a really big thing for, for Morgan to say when you consider who else is in that England side, you know, the likes of... You know, Joss Butler and then some of the belters at the at the top as well. Um, so they clearly, Wokes not fit this summer. Didn't play a single one-day international this summer. You know, straight back in. You know, they, they really like him. And they, you know, I suppose the thing with him now, he, he needs to stay fit because he's had those injury problems over, over a couple of years now and he missed most of the Champions Trophy. Uh, the one player who you think might be a bit vulnerable now is is Mark Wood 
if if mm. Ollie Stone does burst onto the scene and does make a real impact here, and then is given more of a chance, you know, in the West Indies and then the the lead up series against Pakistan before the World Cup, then you you wonder if if Mark Wood might be a little bit vulnerable. Mm. You know, that they're, yeah. they're, he's that sort of bowler, isn't he? He's got that extra pace, and Wood is you know they look to Wood as well with that extra pace. So what Stone has to make sure he does is uh, just minimise his wicket celebrations, isn't it? Because <laughs> that was how he got the yeah. the worst of his injuries when he jumped up, landed on his uh, landed on his leg and s- severed his medial ligament or his cruciate ligament or something in his knee a couple of years ago. So just keep those wicket celebrations to a minimum, and I'm sure everything will be fine. Uh, wh- well, which brings us on to weather. How's the weather out in Candy? Well, it rained this afternoon. It's a day-night game on Wednesday. I think the feeling here is that we're more likely to get a, a day game in than a day-night game. But having, having said that, the shower this afternoon was, uh, was sustained, but it wasn't really heavy. And you know, if, you know, if, if we'd been playing today, we might have been able to get back on the field. I mean, the problem in Dambulla was it rained so heavily and for such a sustained period that the grounds didn't have a chance, really. Once that, once that rain had fallen, there's no way they were going to be able to clear it up in time. So... Okay, we can have some rain during the game, but if it's as heavy as it is in Dambulla, then we're going to be struggling. Uh, you know, we're, we're here in the rainy season. I think we, you know, it's just a question of of keeping the fingers crossed. Uh, so it's a stunning ground, Palakelli. I think it's actually mm. it's right up there. I think my sort of top three you know, most attractive grounds in the world. I mean, you could, you could talk about you know some of the other grounds that are very very different character, like Lords, say, or the Adelaide Oval. But in just terms of pure aesthetics, it's absolutely stunning. Looking out from the commentary box. You've got the one stand at the far end. You've got the jungle in the distance, the grassy banks on either side, and you've got the the, the warmth as well. And you've got the cobras, of course. Um, but it's just a, a stunning ground. It would be a huge shame if, you know, having got up here and made the effort, two matches here, that we don't see much cricket this week's Wednesday day-night game, Saturday day game. OK, thanks, Simon. Just just fingers crossed for the weather. It does seem a bit mad, actually, that England are playing out in Sri Lanka or anybody's playing in Sri Lanka in, in this time of year. But such is the, uh, the congested nature of the international itinerary now that there's kind of almost no option in a way. Anyway, um, there's certainly been no rain in the UAE where Australia, of course, were playing Pakistan and uh, had that miraculous escape uh, with a brilliant performance by both Usman Khawaja, the left-handed opener, and also Tim Payne and others just holding the fort for over a day to keep that Pakistan attack at bay. And after the break, we're going to look a little bit more at the state of Australian cricket and hear from Shane Warne, who's just brought out his autobiography, No Spin. Welcome back, and as I say, we'll hear from Shane Warren shortly, but uh, we should just reflect on the way Australia escaped from that match against Pakistan in Dubai. There's a lot of cricket going on in Dubai at the moment, with the uh, Afghanistan Premier League also underway, so plenty for the, uh, the locals in the UAE to go and watch, and I guess they would have been quite disappointed by the way that Australia managed to escape from that brilliant game, that five-day match, the long-lived five-day test cricket, I suppose many of you will say, after the way that Australia sort of battled back and managed to, in the end, salvage a draw from a match which looked as if they was going to be comfortably defeated in. But I suppose one thing that came out of that game, Simon, is that the uh, the Australians searching around for an opening pair, especially since uh, uh, David Warner's suspension, and the combination of Kawaja and Finch so far in that game proved, proved dividends. 
Yeah, I mean, it was their trump card, really, in, in, in both innings. And Kawaja took it on in the second innings. I watched some of it. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, lots of cricket go on in the UAE and chance for the local spectators to come and watch it. Of course, hardly anyone did. Hardly <laughs> yeah. anyone was in the Dubai International Stadium, apart from the, the wives and girlfriends of the Australian team, who you know, seemed very happy when they eventually walked off, having saved the game. I, I think it's been seen in, in, in Australia as, as part of a, you know, the, the high moment of the year. When you when you consider you know, what happened to the team in South Africa, I mean, right at the start of the year, of course, they they won four nil in the Ashes. You know, the Sydney Test match right at the start of the year. You think, well, that would be their their high point, but you know, obviously, that was tarnished by what happened in South Africa and and Sandpaper Gate and all that, the banning of Smith and and Warner. But at last, something for them to cling on to. I mean, they were they were pretty much outplayed, you know, manoeuvred out of the game for a, for a large parts of it. And they ju- only just about escaped as well. When you think about it, they, go, they went eight down. Yassir Shah eventually got going on that final day. It's amazing when you watch Test cricket. You, you can, you, you, I was watching it five down. And I was thinking, Australia going to get out of this, you know, no trouble at all. Then suddenly, bang, bang, bang. And then the game's on. You, know, you can change the game so quickly with the ball that they just had that tenacity, uh, you know, in the closing overs to, to cling on. And, and, and Tim Payne playing... You know, one of his most significant innings, you know, a, a captain's innings. Because inevitably there's going to be focus on him, isn't it? I mean, is he, is he a stand-in captain? You know, what's going to happen in the future? How, how long, you know, what, what's his longevity like? Is he going to be the captain for the Ashes next summer in England? So, you know, a really important innings for him. Yeah, and one man who's got a, a, a very sure view about that and a very sure view about a lot of things is, of course, Shane Warne. And he's got uh, some interesting thoughts on the Australian captaincy. But first, I asked him about his autobiography and why he'd actually written it when there's been a number written before all about his life. Look, there's been also been so many things written, like 12 unauthorised biographies, or maybe 13, a stage show. There hasn't been too many sportsmen in the world that have had that. So, you know, after I didn't read all those books, but getting feedback from us, like, you know what, I'm going to write my story rather than all of you guys continuing to write lies and exaggerate and things. So um, that was one of the other reasons, I suppose, for doing the book. Um, for me, setting the record straight... Uh, you know, some people do books out of spite to, to do that. I, I just wanted to just tell my journey, my life. There's a lot of things I have never said in the public domain um, about my family, about my mother, some of the tough things that she had to go through. Um, so I thought the time was right to do that now. What about um, the tough things you honest, had to go through? Yeah, and what I've had to go through too. Um, you know, I am human. I do have feelings. Um, a lot of it I bought on myself. I put my hand up for that. But there's a lot of things that weren't quite right either. Um, that weren't quite fair. Um, being brutally honest, I've always been honest. I've never pretended to be something I'm not, um, which I think people might not like, but they respect it because it's like when I was captain and I'd always tell whoever wasn't playing, um, if I had to come up to you and say, so look, you're not playing today, these are the reasons why. I wouldn't say team balance or whatever. I wouldn't give that rubbish excuse or I voted for you, the others didn't. I'll tell you why. I don't think you're bowling consistently enough or whatever the reason what I believed, that's what I'd say. And so the people might not like what they hear, but they'll respect you for being honest with them. So in a way, do you think that's partly why you weren't captain of Australia? Because you weren't diplomatic and perhaps it's wrong that captains need to be diplomatic. But at the time, 
maybe they needed someone who was. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I think a lot of my off-field things that I bought on myself was one of the reasons I wasn't captain for Australia. Uh, I think they probably saw me as too much of a liability for the sponsors and everyone else that are involved in cricket and the captain sort of needs to be a bit of a diplomat and politically correct, which sometimes I'm not. What, what have you learned from writing the book about yourself? Because uh, it can be quite therapeutic. Yeah, it can, yeah, it is in a way. I tell you what, it, did, it taught me that my memory is not as good as I thought it was. Yeah, you often and get... Times and times I thought, yeah. oh, I was on top, I was, I was nailing in there, I was all over it. It was one of the best spells I've I had three for 100. I was like, really? Yeah. I thought I was all over them. So it's amazing how you think in your mind about certain situations in the game or how you bowled in a game or batted. Um, you know, there was another one I said, oh, yeah, I was smashing him and I got out for about 70. And he said, no, no, you made 35. I went, really? <laughs> like, I just, you, you just get game... I wasn't even playing it's, it's, in one it's, game. It's actually annoying in a I way. I wasn't playing in a game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talking, I was Isn't thinking, it annoying sometimes? Because you actually have to... You go back on... The fact that stats are now so accurate. Yeah. You go back and it actually ruins the No, 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 no. I don't believe that. Show me. You know, it's just... I, anyway, so I... Doing the book, realised my memory is not as great as it was, and, and remembering games twenty five years ago that you sort of have in your head is, is different. Was but weird. off the field memories have been pretty clear, have they? I guess. Yeah, you know, sometimes I got dates wrong and times wrong. Mm. Um, you know, I remember but overall, most then, of the I mean, test matches. Overall, your you feel. How do you feel about about the, the process? I'm of proud of the, the book. book. I'm really proud mm. of it. Actually, I I'm very happy with the way it's turned out. I think it's a true reflection of me. And I hope when people read it, they, you know, I'm not a human headline. You know, I, I, there is more to me than um, silly mistakes. You know, I've had an unbelievable life, which I'm very grateful for. I've given a lot of joy to people. Um, and I, I played in part of an Australian cricket team over a period of time where we we're the best side in the world. We beat every team home and away. I played with some unbelievable cricketers and characters, not just cricketers, but people um, who have become great friends. So, you know, I, I've, I've been very, very lucky. And, yes, there's been a few silly things along the way um, and some bad choices and stuff, but at the end of the day, the good outweighs the bad. Just going back to leg spin for a minute, when did you first discover or know that you could bowl a big leg break? Um, I think when I first sort of tried it, when I must have been nine or ten, um, I could actually... You know, the hardest thing is the getting the technique of how to bowl a leg break and, be, and then being able to spin it. Some people can bowl it out the back of the hand, but they can't spin it. So I just had this natural gift I could spin it. And I think because I grew up on matting, it was accentuated too because everything was. It bounced more, it spun more, whatever you did, it, it, it did it more. Um, so I think that, ex thinking back, it sort of 30 years ago, it sort of excited me to say, oh, wow, look at that, that's pretty cool. Where if I suppose I tried to bowl it and it didn't really spin much, it wouldn't have really intrigued me. But to see it spin and then trying to make it go the other way and do other things with it and watching what it did, it was like, it got me curious. Um, so you, 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 you're a believer that actually you, you hadn't played much cricket before you played for Australia mm -hmm. and you were there in a way to try and outwit the West Indies. So mm -hmm. you feel in a way that you were in the right place at the right time. There's an element of luck in the, in the way you emerged. Absolutely. You know, and I... I started off in 19... I think I got in the States, what, in 1988, 89? So I had a, sort of a year and a half in there. I played second 11 cricket, not really doing much. Um, 1990, made my first class debut, didn't really do much, got smashed around. 91, 92, I got smashed around by the Indians. So in the space of 18 months, we've been going from wanting to be an Aussie rules footballer to playing test cricket 
it all happened so fast and I'd only played a few games and I think the selectors had in the back of their minds that the plan was, let, how are we going to beat the West Indies? They're the best team in the world. No one can beat them. They've got four fast bowlers. At that stage, it was Ian Bishop, Patrick Patterson, Courtney Walsh, Curtly Ambrose. They had four, like, 90-mile-an-hour-plus bowls. It was six foot eight. Uh, and a great batting side too. Richie Richardson and Desmond Haynes and Brian Lara, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Carl Hooper. Um, so I think they wanted to hit him with spin. So I, I think I was in the right place at the right time. You know, if I'd have been just a medium pacer or batter, I, oh, I probably wouldn't have got a game. But because I bowled leg spin, they took a chance with me and took a bit of a risk. And I think it, it's paid off over the years and I like to think I repaid them. But... Um, yeah, right place and the right time and element of luck definitely helps. And, and how do you see the art of leg spin now? Because you sort of reinvented it, rejuvenated it 25 years ago. What do you see the state of leg spin like now? Yeah, it's a hard thing because it's actually hard to do. It's hard to bowl leg spin. And I think there's a, a lot of kids that want to be leg spinners. But once they get to sort of 15, 16, and they don't bowl well, a double bouncer or the ball gets hit out the ground... Um, they have to wait for another ball. The captain goes, oh, I have a spell. We'll bring the medium pacer on with one slip ring field, get control back in the game. I think they lose heart. And they go, well, in, especially in Australia, it's 40 degrees. I would rather be at the beach than fielding on the fence and not bowling. Um, so I think that's why we, we have a lot of spinners, leg spinners, try to maybe 15, 16, 17, then not get much encouragement or don't get coached properly. Um, not uh, shown some love or patience, that they just get discarded, that they lose interest. And that's why I think we're not seeing a lot more leg spinners. And the other thing is now is that when I was brought up bowling leg spin, I was taught patience, ball after ball, bowling the same spot, build up pressure, don't try too much. Now, young spinners are told not to bowl the same ball twice because in 2020 cricket, if you bowl the same ball twice, you get hit out the park. Too predictable. So it's a little bit hard for those younger spinners now to try and keep that patience. And there's not too many teams are going to say, you know what, we're not going to play in 2020 or one-day cricket. We're just going to keep you in first-class cricket and you're going to learn your trade on different conditions and pitches. doesn't happen. Um, so it's very hard for the young leg spinner now too to try and get those 10,000 hours of just bowling, bowling, bowling leg breaks. Um, so it's not easy for them. What do Australia need to win the Ashes? What do Australia what need? need? Do, what do they need to do, do you think? Need to combat Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson with a juke ball in England is, um, is one of the toughest things to face in world cricket. Um, I think our bowling will be good. I think Hazel would be... A, he'll be real handful, I think, out here. Mitchell Stark, um, Pat Cummins. Pat Cummins, yeah. And then if you've got Pattinson fit as backup, he's class act as well. And Nathan Lyon does a good job. So I think our bowling will be fine. Uh, to me, it's our batting. If... If, if uh, Warner and Smith are back in firing, someone like an Aaron Finch could come back in. You fancy him as captain, don't you? Yeah, I'd like to see Aaron Finch captain. If he grabs his chance with both hands, makes some runs, I think he could be a wonderful captain. I think he'd be better captain than Tim Payne. Um, Payne's doing nothing wrong, but uh, I think Finchie would be a good option if he makes some runs. Well, that's Shane Warne talking about his autobiography, No Spin, and he goes for Aaron Finch. Aaron Finch, 31 years of age, who's played... One test match, and according to Shane Warne, he should be the new captain of Australia. What do you make of that? I, 
quite like the idea, actually, because I, I can see what he's saying, that, that Tim Payne, as a wicketkeeper, and obviously, you know, number seven batsman, you have a lot on your plate. And I think, it's, I think it is hard to captain the team as a wicketkeeper. I know Alex Stewart did it for a little while for England and didn't do it particularly badly. Kumar Sangakar has done it for uh, Sri Lanka as well. But I, I do think it's, it's asking a lot of somebody. And, and actually, Payne is a, is a very decent man. I wonder if he's a strong enough character to be a leader, ultimately. Uh, Finch is also, by the way, a very genial sort of character. The, the, the interaction I've ever had with him has always been, you know, a very, very decent chap, a quite mild sort of guy. But the way he bats doesn't suggest a mild person. I mean, he's like a, he's like a Popeye with a bat. I mean, he absolutely belts it, and he's very aggressive when, when he bats. So uh, there must be some sort of quite tough area to his character which should suggest that he, he could be a good captain I, I respect Warne's view there Warne knows him probably better than anyone else uh, well certainly around the traps uh, in in England when he was over here uh, and so I, I sort of respect his his judgment Warne himself probably should have been captain of Australia more than he was and I think Australia missed the, an opportunity there to to have somebody like of, of his ingenuity uh, but at the same time, maybe his behaviour, his um, what, what his personality at times, especially as a leg spinner, goes from sort of one extreme to the other a little bit. I mean, he's a very extrovert sort of personality. Maybe you don't want that kind of character as captain. So uh, uh, in the end, I, I suppose Warren was just too unpredictable for the Australians to have as captain. But what I thought uh, he, he had got some interesting points about was leg spin. And I, I like the way that he was talking about leg spin as something that captains have to trust and have to invest time in and patience in. And he was lucky that the Australians did that with him. They kind of pitched him in against the West Indies in the early 90s, and initially he, he wasn't particularly successful. Then obviously his, his career took off after that amazing ball to, to Mike Gatting 25 years ago, and, and we all know how influential he was, how mercurial he was as a cricketer after that. But he was sort of saying that you, a leg spinner needs time and patience. And if you look down the list of top bowlers in the game now, actually only Yasser Shah is in the top 20 uh, as a test bowler in the ICC rankings, whereas in the one-day game, there are actually four wrist spinners in the top 10, quite amazingly. So it sort of slightly underlines Warren's point that leg spin is a very difficult art to control, or wrist spin generally, and if you haven't got that amazing accuracy you're not going to have a very successful test career. But in a way, it's, it's lack of accuracy or lots of variety that helps a bowler be effective in one-day cricket because batsmen can't set themselves to, to play any particular way. So if I read down the list of one-day international uh, top-ranked bowlers here, you've got Rashid Khan at number two, you've got Kuldeep Yadav at number three, Imran Tahir at seven, Adil Rashid at nine. Four in the top ten wrist spinners who are just good at foxing the batsman when they're seeking to hit huge shots uh, over the infield, but not necessarily quite as effective when they're trying to tie down an end and, and gradually try and um, exert superiority on a team in a test match. Yeah, it's, am it's amazing actually, when you think about it, because you know, when one-day cricket started, 
it was that oh this is going to be the death of spinners and you think 2020 as well oh they got no the spinners have got no chance I guess it's going to be clubbed everywhere but it's 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 perverse isn't it actually that the the leg spinners that that mystery that you know it's difficult to get after in that short space of time in a in a 2020 match say you know they they are flourishing and yet in test level you think oh well that's the that that's their natural habitat really because they've got time and they can weave a spell and if they go for a few runs it doesn't matter but yeah, you're you're right. Control is also so important in a, in a test match as well. I mean, you know, look at Ali Rashid last summer. There were times when Joe Root, because the game was so tight, he did not feel that he could bowl him. And as as it turned out, actually, there were there were occasions when he did turn to Rashid, and Rashid, you know, came up trumps that that wicket of Kohli at Edgbaston in the first innings. And it sort of rather um, sort of tossed away in a, in a sense. It was it was ignored, but he he, he actually that was a vital wicket because if India built, built a, another 30 or 40 runs in that first innings, that their lead would have put tremendous pressure on England. They probably would have won the game anyway. But that, you know, I'm slightly getting off the, the point. But um, it, 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 is, it is amazing how, the, how spin in short-form cricket, white ball cricket, especially in 2020, has, has really come to the fore. Yeah, and Sri Lanka, of course, have got two. They've got two wrist spinners, Sander Khan and Danan Jaya, who will no doubt feature again in the, the third one-day international. Uh, Shane Warne, as I say, he's be, been doing the rounds, actually, uh, in the last mm. week in England, doing various signings and appearances and so on. He was even on the Chris Evans show. He was on the Radio 2 show talking about uh, the autobiography and uh, trying to sort of set the record straight over various... It's funny, isn't it? I, I feel that with him, and I, I tried to get this out of him, and he, he didn't answer the question particularly well, that he's sort of almost not as popular in Australia as a personality as you might expect, or as you think he should be, because he's done so much for the game, and yet they don't like some of the things that he's also done, I suppose, off the field. Uh, and and so he doesn't seem to have quite as much popularity uh, and, and respect in a way as his cricket suggests he should have. And that's part of the reason that he's done this book. He's done it, by the way, with Mark Nicholas, who was very much his accomplice uh, around the last year, writing and listening to him talking for hour and hour and hour, tra- tra- tracking him down wherever. And so it has got a nice style to it, this book, although it's a, it's a weighty tome. It's uh, it'd pretty, it'd do pretty well as a paperweight or a, a doorstop if you, if you don't uh, get past the first 100 pages. Talking of um, literature, it is also the, the new Cricketer magazine out this month, uh, which is very much a review of the season. The, the, the headline on the front cover is Surrey Saw, and, of course, they won the, the county championship title, and every county is reviewed in depth by uh, different reporters and so on. So it's a very comprehensive assessment and analysis of the county season. Seems almost ancient history now. It's so much has sort of happened since then, really. But the uh, Cricketer magazine out uh, this week, and you can get uh, 20% off your subscription if you go to the cricketer.com forward slash podcast, uh, and you can get 20% off your subscription of the Cricketer magazine. One of the people featured in it is Mike Brearley, an interview with him uh, by Simon Barnes, and actually he's also got a book out at the moment on cricket. You can't stop Mike Brearley from writing. He's just absolutely prolific. And I just uh, uh, as an aside, Warney said he thought that uh, maybe Joss Butler would be a fantastic captain of England ultimately, and that Joe Root you know, has too much on his plate to be England test captain. 
in, but Mike really totally refuted that and thought that Joe Root was doing an excellent job, was really uh, growing into his role as a test captain and thought that, that Root should, should be the man. Yeah, I was interested by uh, Shane Warne's comments about that. Actually, if you, actually, if you read them closely, he wasn't. It, it was sort of slightly presented as uh, sack root employed Butler, but it was it was actually far more subtle than that. He was he was what he was saying was that you know he he worked he's worked with Butler and he thought that he you know would make a decent captain and that if Root wants to be the number one batsman in the world, perhaps he would need to relinquish the captaincy and just concentrate solely on his batting. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Joe Root has really consolidated himself as England captain. Goodness me, they've just beaten India 4-1, the world's number one side. And Root has had a fantastic summer as captain. And he will be given quite a while to develop in the job. I'm, I'm absolutely sure about that. I suppose... You know, if England were to have a disastrous Ashes series, then there might be, you know, some questions asked. But you know, it, it, they've just won four-one, so it, 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 in a way, it seems a strange time to to raise it. But I mean, Butler's Butler's stock has really risen this year, hasn't it? And the, the fact that he's come come into the Test side as well and done really well, uh, that, you know, there's a feeling that he you know, he's he's got the aptitude to be a captain as well. And and actually, at last, in a way, England do have an alternative if. You know, Joe Root doesn't work out in the long term, and there, were, there, there was a feeling, I think, a while back. You know, if not Root, then who? You know, and and not that he got it totally by default, but there weren't that many options. And now, of course, that there is an option in Josh Butler, but I, I cannot see that happening in the sort of the medium term future. Joe Root has consolidated the England captaincy with that 4-1 victory over India. Definitely. And uh, it was great, great to see the way he batted as well uh, in that second one day international. I mean, he's just so much the, the linchpin of England's batting and uh, the, the the way, that the dynamo in, in the team, the way he just keeps a scoreboard going without any apparent expending any much energy, really. It just seems to do it naturally. Keeping uh, keeping the score going, it's it's an amazing uh, skill, kind of knack almost to have. So England uh, take uh, the field again on Wednesday, weather permitting, to play the third One Day International. Simon, of course, will, will be there for the BBC. Um, any any predictions or projections? Oh, I just hope it doesn't rain. <laughs> I, yeah. I know we've we've been uh, we've given a golden summer where it hasn't rained very much. I know that rain is so important in so many parts of the world. Uh, you know, rain gives you, you know, grows the crops. You know, and it, it it waters the crops and, and feeds us all. But uh, it, it would be nice if we just had a day a day without the stuff. Okay, Simon, thanks very much, and fingers crossed for the weather for the next few games. And by the way, we've just heard that England have announced that Liam Dawson has suffered a side injury and has to return home, and he's being replaced in the squad by Joe Denley, uh, which is a great opportunity for the Kent man, of course, not least, because he is a spinner as well. He's had some success with his leg spin, uh, as well as, of course, his batting, so it would be interesting to see if he gets a chance to play in the series. We'll be reporting on on the next couple of games next Monday. Look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.